Welcome to Decoding SaaS, a podcast where we talk to founders and industry experts to deep dive into strategies that help them build and sustain a 10 million ARR business, a podcast that will provide actionable tactics and strategies from the minds of SaaS professionals. Hello, everybody. Today, we are welcoming Nikunj Verma, the co-founder and CEO of CutShort, a company that is growing massively and is we're going to be talking about how he has gotten this company from zero to a million and then how he is taking that company from a million to 10 million in ARR. So welcome to the podcast, Nikunj. Thanks, Amit. Thanks for having me here. Glad to be here. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So I'd love to sort of dive right into it uh, and maybe start talking a little bit about sort of the background at the start. I love sort of hearing inception stories of how you got started, what led to this idea. So if you want to kind of give me and sort of the viewers a little bit of background on that, that'd be awesome. Yeah, sure. So I think uh, uh, when I was uh, looking to move back to India back in 2014, actually, uh, was a time when I was, uh, you know, looking to do something on my own. Uh, and I had worked for around 10 years post, uh, uh, you know, my engineering and also did my MBA. So I also worked in product management and product marketing uh, at a venture-backed company at that time. And then the company got acquired. So I had a decent experience from tech as well as in products uh, and the company had been acquired. So I was looking to now figure out whether I should continue the corporate ladder, you know, go from product management to VP of product management sort of a ladder, or should I do on my own something on my own? So I wanted to do something on my own. Uh, and when I came back to India, uh, and uh, I just uh, made a list of, you know, where the market was going and what are the things that are, uh, you know, uh, a pain point for the users and, and consumers as well as the businesses at that time. Uh, hi hiring and uh, uh, people, the way people found jobs uh, was a broken problem even that time. Uh, and I had experienced it when I was moving back. So I was also talking to companies, figuring out what kind of options they have, what kind of stuff they're doing. So even there, it was evident that it was a very chaotic sort of a situation that nobody had a clue. Everybody was trying everything. Uh, LinkedIn was the only way people would connect with your network. And that was not really become very effective. So a lot of problems existed there at that time and they still exist. The problems have not been completely solved. So yeah, so I think that was the genesis of the entire journey that uh, uh, there are people who don't want to go to a proper conventional job platform or job portal where they just, they just upload their resume and then everybody can get their hands on the resume and they start calling them. Uh, can we create a better uh, product for them and also a better product for the companies uh, so that they can easily find people through the network, uh, the people who are coming from the references uh, people who have done stuff. So how can we make that discovery happen? So that was the idea. And uh, uh, it started as a referral kind of an idea that how can I connect uh, to, to people in my network to do whatever. Right? In my professional network, I may want to hire, I may want to get a job. I may also want to provide mentorship. I may also want to provide a consulting thing for my then to my network. So how do I people, how do I find people in my network? That was the idea of the entire journey. And then, you know, it has been since then, I think it's been six years uh, after incorporation and it has been a crazy journey in terms of uh, where we started and where we have come and also the evolution that has happened for the product, for the company, for the team, for the platform. Yeah, so that is how it started. That's really great to hear. So in terms of uh, you had a problem that you felt yourself and then you decided to sort of solve it. So you have a market marketplace, right? Uh, so the biggest challenge for the marketplace is the chicken or the egg problem. Do you get people first or do you get companies for, from your perspective first? So can you talk a little bit about us, uh, talk, talk to us a little bit about how you solved that problem or how you thought about that problem? Or was it even a problem uh, for you? Yeah, so that is always a problem for any marketplace. Uh, uh, generally, there is a major pain point for one side. So uh, if you have a very strong problem understanding, uh, if you are solving something uh, which they have been looking for and they find you uh, and the friction of them trying out something new is not so much, then you have a better shot. If you try to do something like a marketplace in a market which is already saturated, which is something which is, uh, which let's say anything which competes with WhatsApp today, right? right? So it's very difficult for you to get it off the ground. Uh, so in case of hiring, 
we realized that companies wanted to hire they were desperately looking for talent uh, they were posting on linkedin so they were always open to try out something else or uh, something new so that was uh, on the company side and on the uh, talent side uh, again problem existed people were looking people were but large of large part of the activity was under the ground it was not really overt on the social networks people would not just post on social networks as they're looking for new opportunities uh, like some people do but not good people or good talent might not do that so it's a latent or not so overt kind of an intent uh, so for that you have to create some sort of awareness uh, in terms of your uh, demand side so let's say you get a demand side because they have the lower uh, adoption barrier so they come they create something which is a information unit for you to attract the other side and in, in our case it just worked out like that so employers came companies came they added jobs that job became the information unit that could attract more people on the talent side and then uh, the cycle repeats itself the, they come and you know the whole process repeats so yeah, yeah we had a problem uh, i think the the short answer is uh, if you have a very strong you need to know which side has the strongest uh, problem right now and will they come and what is the barrier to entry and can they create something which can attract and where you can use some distribution uh, in our case of jobs you can use a distribution of google for example to get people who are interested in new opportunities so that's that's how you amplify it and then you keep keep on repeatedly playing it out awesome so are there some specific tactics uh, that you used uh, to let's say so you talk, talk about google so are there any sort of things that you did that may not be scalable but kind of got you the first 50000 yeah. not employers but people yeah. so can you talk to us a little bit about that yeah, so all sorts of things, right? I mean, nothing is uh, off the table at that time, right? When you desperately want to grow, you try whatever you can. So we tried uh, LinkedIn connections, uh, LinkedIn accounts, we invited people through messages. Nothing was scalable. We sent them many, many messages uh, to get more and more people, uh, make, uh, make more people aware of the company that were hiring on the platform. Uh, that was one. So uh, these things happened. Events, uh, holding or organizing recruitment events was something which was massive. Uh, and the great thing about events was, and you know, to anybody who's trying to uh, kickstart a marketplace, right? Uh, the, the biggest problem in the marketplace is that you don't have supply and demand right now. So you have a supply today, you may not have a demand, like in case of Uber, right? So if you just advertise yeah. it to more people and you don't have drivers, uh, they're going to be disappointed and they're going to go away. But let's say you are doing an event and that event is in the future, right? So you can always make a promise that by that time, or let's say today's 11th February, so let's say I hypothetically say, on 28th Feb, we are going to be, host the biggest event ever, which will see 5,000 companies and 50,000 people who will be participating, right? So that's an announcement, that's a goal. And now people are seeing that end result and end uh, date, which you don't have a demand, you don't have a supply right now, but you make a promise that you will deliver. And then based on that promise, you get three logos, you put those three logos in your landing page, and those three logos now bring more people on board, right? So then you have in the background, demand supply is building up, uh, anticipating that there will be demand and there will be supply and you keep on doing that and then the event comes online and you would reach your goal because uh, people are hiring, people are okay with waiting. In, a, in, a, in our case of business uh, use case, people would be okay with waiting 10-15 days. Uh, in a Uber kind of marketplace, you can't do that, but potentially you can still do it if you say, let's say I'm launching a new Uber, uh, which will have premium fares, but you will get the biggest, uh, you know, comfort you'll get the best comfort you'll get the best service nobody will uh, ghost on you driver will come on time and i'm launching a service on first march so come and sign up right so that's how landing pages also work you try to build anticipation in anticipation you try to build an audience so same thing you can do in a marketplace as well so we did that as well so that worked out pretty well uh, we did a series of events and this, we also got amplification on social media and all of that so those are the two things that i remember uh, which got off uh, you know got, got us off the ground Okay, uh, so events uh, was kind of a key uh, driver for you. And I love that. I wouldn't call it fake it till you make it, but uh, in some sense, right, in terms of building that anticipation until sort of people come. So that's a really great tactic uh, that we and, can definitely leverage. And the whole thing is, see, and then I think the next thing is, and we might touch upon that later, but everything is uh, also about trust. You don't want to make a promise yeah. uh, because you are here in long term, right? So you yeah. just don't want to make a promise and then cheat people and make a clickbaity kind of a thing. Let's say for some reason you cannot reach that goal, then you have to make uh, an apology as well. Yeah. And you have to be honest about it, right? So as long as you're honest and you use these tactics, they work out. If you just become yeah. reckless, 
and start playing with people right then that's where the problem happens and you don't you lose credibility on the ground absolutely so that's really great uh, is that sort of how you saw saw one side of marketplace let's talk about the other side which is employers right uh, and of course i think the mark job market today is probably very different from what it was when you sort of started so they may not be as open to new platforms that uh, people are kind of coming coming up with so yeah like how did you get your first 10 or 20 initial customers and who were they so i think uh, it uh, we started in 15 like i said we, we got incorporated i think in 2018 in january we became sort of profitable on a monthly basis so uh, we launched a pricing in 2017 after one and a half years of, of you know making a free offering available to everyone uh, the way it worked is we launched an online pricing uh, our approach to go to market was to bring more people more smbs on the platform or uh, make them taste the product make the product itself very usable for them and then at some point launch a premium kind of an offering and uh, uh, we you know because the product was solving a problem they realized that uh, if they paid they could get more value it just organically happened so really i, I would say it was not a typical b2b or enterprise kind of a tactic where we had to you know go, go for demos or uh, you know uh, build connections with people you know, convince them to buy nothing like that it was more like a saas kind of a play so make people use a product make the product itself valuable or uh, do a very clear pricing and positioning about what exactly you will get in premium plans and uh, if you are solving a problem people are willing to pay and in fact that was that is much much more true today uh, than it was in 2015 so now if you make something even the consumer side uh, they will also pay at that time that, and i'm in less than 6 7 years ago uh, even charging smbs or b2b also was something which was not a very given thing people thought they would not pay but today i think even consumers are paying they're paying for netflix they're paying for hotstar they're paying for a lot of different services so the people are willing to pay for value now so i think yeah that was that's what that was about it okay uh that's definitely uh good to sort of uh get that feedback in terms of how uh in terms of positioning it as a freemium product and then sort of showing the value and truly selling the value so your sales cycles weren't insanely long or the traditional sort of sales cycles that you may see uh in the b2b landscape especially in india is that correct it is not long it is shorter because we are not doing uh, the product is doing the selling itself uh, we're just building a sort of a habit uh, and it depends on how uh, aggressively you want to push the sales so dropbox for example Uh, is a premium product very long sales cycle perhaps but even maybe they don't even want to sell to consumers they want to go to market in the enterprise through the consumers uh, so it all depends on how you want to how aggressively you want to push it depending on how what kind of market you have uh, in our case uh, we started with a very free product then we started with a trial kind of a thing we let go like we kind of uh, stop talking about the free product too much uh, we made the free product less potent and then we added more premium uh, free, premium uh, more premium options there Uh, and then uh, once the the trial is over then they are inclined to pay so we our sales cycle is around 2 3 weeks not more than that that's awesome uh that's definitely uh, I, i i'm sure your sales people are very happy about that so uh when it comes yeah. to they are not because there are tons of people who are on the website and who are uh, you know who need to who need to be qualified uh, so there's a lot of work it ends up in a film product a lot of people are using it and they may show an intent but they may not actually convert so there is a whole logic or different kind of tools and tactics you have to use to figure out where you going to spend your effort so sales team is happy but they also are very busy so they are always looking to you know uh, figure out how what else they can do to become more effective how can they save their time and all of that yeah yeah so that's actually a really great point to uh, dive into uh, so right now uh, what percent of your product is either sort of self service so it's like product led or do you have a product led or a self service model or is it all you need to speak with someone to be able to get it so it's like a you know roller coaster kind of a journey like as a bootstrap company we keep on trying different things uh yeah. as we started with a total free product then we had a freemium kind of a model then we said okay freemium let's suppress free just go for free trial uh then we added very low price options uh and we were able to sell them then we added more premium options at the top end and now we were able to sell them then we added sales team and then we realized that okay sales team can do xyz so we can you know people want to talk people want to this is not really something which they can buy off the shelf they have questions is the hiring process is complicated so people need somebody they can trust somebody they can talk to that was the idea which we followed and now we are coming full circle 
and now actually we are trying to as as we speak right we're trying to figure out one portion of a pricing and product can be made self service and product led and the top end can be made more service or sales driven right so that's why we are kind of arriving right now uh, the top tier plans largely enterprise plans can be sold by sales team or uh, the lower price the lower plans can be made cheaper and can be made more effective and more eff uh, efficient for selling if we just uh, you know make them make the product sell those plans so that is the current thinking right now awesome man uh, that's definitely great insight product led for smb and for mid market enterprise have a sales team in place and uh, that 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 model seems to be working and uh, for other folks so uh, hopefully that's something that's a success factor yeah. for you as well so yeah. when it comes to uh, kind of your marketing tech stack we always talk about te uh, tech stack from a engineering perspective let's talk about your growth stack so what are the tools that you use so what's your crm is it hubspot salesforce uh, zoho uh, and can you talk to us a little bit about specific tools that you took that helped you take you from like zero to one and how those tools are changing now as you're sort of looking at a much larger sort of scale yeah so believe it or not we did not have a crm until 2019 or 20 so for the first four years or three years we did not have even have a crm wow. we did not even know what crm was we just thought people will buy use a product and they'll upgrade why do we have to even reach out to them we can just reach out to them on intercom so intercom yeah. was the first thing that we used uh for engagement for experience for delight uh and and you know we just wanted people to drive towards pricing plan and people would buy and there was no need to call them even if you're calling them people could just manage on whatsapp because there's no large team which requires a lot of coordination so it was working on whatsapp and everything else on the emails uh on the marketing side we actually uh, we were you no know, team a very tech kind of a hacky kind of a team right so from a product perspective we added in the product a lot of growth hacks itself so that was one thing that we realized that since this is uh, we have the attention and eyeballs of the users on our website they are the biggest asset that we have uh, so can we channelize them to lead uh, our growth itself so we added a lot of things like events for example you participate in the event this unique value you're getting so i we would ask them we would ask you to share the event in your linkedin network to to complete the event registration and they would do that right and they because they are looking and they find it just to be a compelling value they would do that so uh, we did a lot of things on the product uh, and today we have arrived at a point and i think last year we well, this last year is the only year when we actually had hubspot before that we had you know, one year we were using pipedrive and this time we use hubspot because we wanted to integrate our marketing sales everything else at one spot so we have hubspot since last one year not even one year uh, and and that's that's largely the b2b side of thing our challenge is always on the b2c side because none of the products uh, which are created, which are built for b2b will have the pricing options for b2c all of the products are they think that we are selling and they have a, we have a high uh, average value of the user and they would have a very high pricing model like mix panel we used mix panel we grew out out very soon because mix panel pricing model was really not working for us uh, all these b2b products which kind of became very difficult for us to continue using so we used to start using motic so motic is an open source uh kind of a uh, marketing automation product uh, so we, all the email lists and everything else and drips everything else goes from there uh so it's a it's a you no know, to summarize it's like hubspot at the center right now uh with the product being doing the lot of uh, heavy duty load in terms of channeling the attention that we have so the first intention of the product is to lead you towards the value and second intention of the product is to grow to help you to to use the eyeballs to in terms of growth uh, and then there's a lot of uh, uh, custom made uh, hand made kind of uh, cobbled together products and things like extension things like uh, uh, what pop up to show on the product is something that is in the hands of marketing today so i can just go and you know launch a product pop up in the without without using any tool i can just do it in house so we have a lot of in house tools as well uh, that helps to do that so it's a it's a really really a uh, you know two or three different categories of things that we have built together Okay, awesome. So HubSpot is kind of the platform that you have now. With that said, what kind of helped you grow and what you still use is a lot of things within the product uh, itself. Uh, and then you've actually built internal tools such as pop-ups and things like that uh, to sort of engage and to kind of move people on sort of that buyer's journey. Yeah. So we have our own shortlink generator. We have our own uh, pop-up, as we as we said. We have our own email tool. We also have. our own content marketing tool which actually can do different pop ups and all of this inside the product uh, and all of this is tracked 
uh, we track uh, or short links are tracked, we get the numbers. And why we do this? Because uh, I think email, for example, right? So since we outgrew Mixpan and all of those kind of things and Intercom, we wanted to target people on the activities they have done. And we could not have sent, like we get 30 million events we used to send to Intercom one month. And this was to one year, two years ago. And today that number might be more, 50, 60, 100 million events, right? That's, that volume it just doesn't work. So uh, we want to target people very, uh, in a very hyper targeting model. We want to know exactly how, when did you sign up? When did you not uh, you know, use a product? When did you stop using it? How many people you have talked to? And we wanted to use the targeting based on that. So for that kind of thing, we, we saw no option. Uh, rather than build something of our own. So that's how we ended up building more and more stuff uh, on the marketing side as well. So our team, product team has not only built a product, they have also built a lot of marketing tools as well. That's awesome, man. Are, are there going to be some uh, cut short side projects that are going to be launching? So we were uh, SaaS's? <laughs> no kidding. We were thinking of making our, like some tools, we were trying to make it them open source for the people also to use. Uh, but that never happened because it takes, we realize how difficult it is to make products, right? So uh, there's no point in launching something which you can't sustain, can't really keep up uh, supporting and you know making better. No, that, uh, that that's really great uh, to kind of hear that. So when it comes to, uh, so one thing that you talked about and a lot of folks probably face this, right? Especially a company that's scaling fast is where the salespeople don't know whom to reach out to because there's so many leads, right? And but out of those leads, there might just be a few that are actually serious. So within your HubSpot or within the different tools that you, you have, do you guys do any sort of lead scoring that helps the salespeople understand, hey, this is exactly who you should be reaching out to? Or what are those metrics that actually make your sales team effective that, you, that you've done in the past or that you're kind of thinking about uh, in the future? Yeah, so I think uh, uh, what we have right now, like we implemented it last year, uh, maybe six, six months ago, is uh, again a qualification engine so everybody who yeah. signs up we qualify them uh, there's a team that qualifies them we grade them into different buckets and depending on which bucket they're graded in uh, the sales team and the team then you know gets assigned to them so it's a typical process of enterprise and the b2b buying where we qualify them move them ahead then uh, once it is handed over to the sales team they have different check-ins and they know uh, the, with the pricing and positioning clarity we exactly know what kind of options to present to them so the more clarity you have uh, the easier it becomes for everyone for you as well to sell and for them also to buy so that's something on that side uh, on the automation side and all of that it's it's not really a sales problem for us it's more like a customer success problem for us uh, customer success problem for us is that a lot of users who have bought some different different configuration of the plan uh, some are on enterprise expect higher support some are on the different scale of plan which have you know paid uh, more than the micro and other plan people and you know they have different needs they have different uh, you know kind of use cases uh, then we have micro then we have free and all of these people are using the product at the same time and a free user might show an intent to buy and upgrade but they may not upgrade so there's a sales angle to it and for which we have actually created a dashboard and retool and in retool dashboard we send all the like we capture all these events and retool actually shows and in retool what we have created is a, a prioritized list of customers who are doing something interesting so let's say so you're doing something on the you're on a free plan you're doing something which is interesting from the upgrade perspective then we have a different way to categorize give them points and again it's a homemade uh, you know an engine that we have created where we rank them we give them a weightage and people get, get can get that kind of list so that's that's on the free user side uh, anything on the paid side renewals are coming in and the, what is the health looking like? And that's very difficult for us to figure out. In our use case, uh, our use, our, our user, our kind of use case is not a continuous use case, right? So on HubSpot, if you don't log in for seven days or 10 days, I can sense that you are showing signs of churn because you're not using it. And a CRM is supposed to be used on a continuous basis. But I can't make the same judgment based on, uh, for our users, because our users may have a different hiring cycles. Uh, so how do you gauge those kind of signals uh, for your market, it really became a difficult thing for us. And that's something which we have not solved, but uh, we have different uh, views that where we can figure out this uh, people have paid and they are showing signs of bad health. And those could be ratings on the platform. They give, maybe they gave bad NPS or they rated the bad, uh, they rated the experience on a job, not so great, uh, or they're doing something else, right? So all of those signals, they go into this product. We store in the product, we send the events, and then it will be kind of visualized those. So it's like, again, homegrown kind of a thing, but uh, we get some idea and some ideas uh, and some insights from there. Awesome. No, thanks for uh, thanks for kind of walking us through that. Uh, so I'd love to kind of, if we had to kind of boil down 
or get to three things, right? That helped you get from zero to a million in ARR. So if you had to say, hey, these are the three kind of clear things that we did that were the key sort of value drivers for us, what would be those three things for you? Yeah, so I think uh, choosing the product and first of all, choosing the market where uh, there is a big problem, a lot of people uh, willing to pay, I think that's very important. So I think we chose that market very carefully and luckily we were able to find the right market because uh, if the market is not right, then it's really a lot of problem. And in this large market, uh, there should be people, uh, the, the existing competition is not able to actually satisfy them. So it's like a Paul Graham thing, right? So you choose a very large market with low NPS. So we were able to choose that. Uh, fortunately, uh, we, we chanced upon that. Second thing is about product and the needs. Uh, we always looked at the needs as superior uh, driving decision than the category that we belong to. Uh, a lot of people look at a category and say you are not, because this is a, in, in our market, right? There's an ATS category, applicant tracking system. There's a category of job portal. There's a category of LinkedIn. There's a category of employer branding. And these are different categories where people have to go and buy different products. Uh, and it becomes for a startup, for, for our kind of target segment, it becomes difficult for them to buy all these products, stitch them together. Uh, and so uh, at the same time, the, what they're really is weighing on in their mind is finding talent, right? So they want to find talent, but they also want to do like three, four things and for which they never get time. So having a very clear idea about the pain points of the customers, I think, and building a product for that was something which was important. So I think that was point two. Point three, I think is uh, your credibility, your trust, and the kind of uh, uh, image, the brand image you can create. So I think we were able to create a very positive image because yeah. of the honesty in the brand. Uh, we never uh, were uh, arm twisting people. We 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 did not sell a lot of times, a lot of plans because we think it did not make sense. Whenever people ask, we issued refund and refunds. I think in all our history, right? Maybe uh, people asking for refund because they were not satisfied with the product, one or two times out of all the times we have sold, right? So so. That is the level of uh, trust that we were able to create through our content, through our branding, through our positioning. I think people were able to believe that this brand will, and people today, even today when they buy the product, sometimes they don't understand, understand Kachwa very clearly, but they still buy it because they believe in the brand, they believe in the vision of the company. I think those are three things. Uh, market, large market with low NPS, having a very clear product which solves the real problems, uh, and you focus on that. And third is your overall trustability and the kind of perception you're able to create, the kind of story you can create in the minds of the customer that you're taking them in the right direction. Uh, that those three things, I think, helped us achieve that number. That's awesome, man. That's really actionable uh, advice for all of us. And for the last one, I'm actually, uh, I can attest to that uh, because we are actually customers, as you know, of Cut Short and the buying experience uh, and this general experience has been very different from the other solutions that are out there. I won't name them. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a very uh, sort of different experience when you're sort of uh, kind of just, yeah, kind of speaking with folks on your team. And your team is also very accessible, actually, both through intercom uh, and also through email and things like that. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, and I think the, the key thing here is we make mistakes all the time. So it's not like we are like, when, when you say that you had a good experience, that does not mean we did not make mistakes. We may have made a lot of mistakes, but it's just that we admit mistakes. And we admit them honestly, and we try to make to, to improve on them. And that is what people want. That's what people want to see. They want to know your intentions. They want to know your vision. And they want honesty in whatever you're doing. And I think those things we are able to keep up. And that is, I think, something which has helped us. Awesome, man. So this is great. So now that you look at your journey from where you are now to that 10 million in ARR, how do you think about product? And how do you think about product supremacy? Because I think the journey from zero to one is about survival and it's like, hey, we just got to get to this point and resources are typically limited. So there are only a few things that you can do, but now uh, the resources, your, your own cash flow, also with the ability to potentially raise capital is very different, right? So it's very easy to suddenly kind of get distracted and sort of start doing 10 things. So how do you kind of think about that? And how do you think about specialization while also sort of continuing to expand uh, sort of the product offering or the general TAM that you have? Yeah, so I think that's an interesting phase for us also. We are also doing this first for the first time, right? So it's never, I've never done that before. But I think I find it to be easier, honestly, than zero to one journey because zero to one was always had 
was always about questioning yourself about whether you are doing the right thing you will be able to make it or not you are sacrificing you are you know doing a lot of things that nobody of your very few people in your network are doing right so it's always about questions and doubts uh, and at this stage you know that you have reached this level so you are going to become successful to some extent you're not going to really tank now from now uh, unless you screw up right so that confidence gives you uh, you know some freedom and some confidence to do more things uh, so that that is important uh, now in our market actually it's easier uh, because in uh, unlike other uh, it, it that's how the marketplace is different from uh, a typical saas software right in saas software you can reach zero to 1 million by finding your niche audience and really between the building the product for them and you can do that but it will be difficult for you to maybe you have to find a different channel maybe your diff different customers need a different kind of uh, requirement or feature list and you have to again look at from zero 1 to 10 million Uh, what is the next segment to go after? And their needs, their channels, everything might be different. In our case, uh, and marketplace, uh, it makes it easy because you have network effects, right? So today, uh, when we are like ten times more useful than what we were two years ago, and just based on the numbers that we have on the platform, uh, that's the power of the marketplace, right? So for us, it becomes easy uh, uh, to sell actually to go from one to ten million because the same customers. Same uh, market, same need. We're not changing anything. All we are doing is uh, we're reaching out to more people in the same market. And now, since they uh, will see this to be more valuable uh, because they have more traction on the platform, they will see more variety of the talent. They will also find it to be more mature. They will be able to adapt to it. So I don't see one to ten million is going to be as challenging in terms of uh, just getting that number and uh, in terms of uh, you know. Uh, Doing it without adding a lot of complications to the product and the platform, I think ten to hundred million is where it would add a bit more uh, aggressive thinking or maybe more thinking in terms of let's say international. So if you want to open an international market, uh, that will be a ten to hundred million uh, journey. And there you might have a different market. There you might have a different product, different channel, different things they are looking at, and, and that will be interesting from that perspective. I think one to ten looks to be sort of achievable to me. Okay, awesome. So, in terms of you're gonna apply, or you're gonna continue with the same product that you have right now, and similar playbook uh, to sort of get to the ten, and then once you get at that point, potentially, hey, it's gonna be potentially a new geography. So you look at new geographies to increase your TAM or your general revenue, rather than saying that, oh, hey, we're gonna start building out a, I don't know, an HRMS tool or anything like that. That's sort of how you're thinking about it. Correct, correct. So I think we'll continue innovating on the product. We'll continue innovating and finding new solutions that exist that, that should be created for the people that are using our product. And I think in our current market, there is large number of companies, and we have barely scratched the surface, right? 100%. So if you look at the if you look at the awareness of what Cutshot is, if you look at the number of companies who are buying today versus the companies that exist in the market, there's a massive gap. So there's like five fifty times growth available there right away. So I think in short term it looks to be pretty much possible. Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, and I always say, or I shouldn't say, yeah, like running a company that's seventy-five to hundred people is a lot easier than running a company that's twenty people, just because you have specialization, you have people that know what they're doing, um, and things like that, versus where you're just learning as you go. So, no, I fully sort of uh, understand that, and it's really great that you're so confident about your journey from one to ten. So. In terms of uh, how do you see sort of your team evolving, right? So can you talk to us about your? So we'll kind of jump to the second part of this, which is uh, kind of gearing up, getting ready for that next journey, which you already are on. So can you talk to us a little bit about your leadership team? And yeah, let's start there, and then we'll jump into other things. So I mean, we have been a very, very uh, unconventional company in that way. a uh, lot of companies start very differently they raise money they build a leadership leadership team of people who have done this before uh, and that's how they hire more people and they try to grow like that uh, we have been as i said our uh, focus was to solve the problem of customers who like lean in a in a lean manner try to learn more about the market and then you know build from there uh, i started uh, with, i tried with a couple of my friends who were then in the in the industry before and who had same experience as me but uh, it didn't work out for some reason that they had different personal commitments at that time so we we could not onboard them as a co-founder and then i found my current co-founder anubhav who was actually a fresher at that time who was a, a you know delhi university student 
uh, in final year uh, with one one back uh, year or something like that he was uh, into something commerce something but a great designer uh, also learned tech on his own so a great combination today that combination is very rare and very very expensive right but uh, i was fortunate to find him and then uh, you know we started from there we hired like the first techie guy was again a fresher uh priyank uh, and we made him a co-founder sort of a person very core member team member who left actually last year he had to leave for some reasons but uh, we started from there so if you look at the degrees if you look at the pedigree the previous experience proven experience we none of none of us had it and i was the only one who had significant industry experience uh, leadership experience and mba and all of that but other people in the company were mostly were bets we made those bets on people uh, we identified those people people who had you no know, long vision who were who were aggressive want to do something and who were smart we got them on board we gave them exposure and then we built and groomed them and today if you talk to them you will not even realize that you the person you talking to uh, you may find the person to be 10 year 5 year experience but they might be just one or two year experience right so uh, on the outside uh, you know people have a very different perception they think we are a 100 150 people strong company uh, and you know all these people are very experienced but on the inside you come and you find out there's 25 20 people and 5 10 people are still getting onboarded five of them are like uh, you know three 24 25 years of age most of them were like less than 23 not so far ago right so that is a composition of a team uh, and it's all based on the character it's all based on the the passion that they have and the raw or uh, you know drive that they have to do something so that's how we started so to, to I mean, only recently we actually made functional leaders the whole hierarchy whole idea about uh, you know managers is this still doesn't exist in the in the in the company uh, all we have is functional leaders who are working with people who are uh, it's a kind of distributed kind of a uh, leadership they have in the team they have different people assisting them in leadership jobs so let's say in sales Uh, one uh, says so Neha is leading sales, for example, right? So Neha is a functional leader. She also sells, but she also gets. So she is hiring. She has onboarding. She has uh, metrics at three different departments that she has to manage, uh, or three, three different responsibilities she has to manage. All these three responsibilities, somebody else in the team who's junior is is taking the ownership of that and assisting her in that. So it's a kind of a distribution of responsibilities of a leader as well. So that's how we have, you know, we have. try to do so far now in future when we scale yes we might have to bring and we'll have more leadership specific specialized kind of leadership coming in but we are kind of became more uh, you know uh, inside out rather than outside in sort of a company from that perspective that's awesome nikhil that honestly warms my heart and a high five to you and your team uh, for the team that you've built uh, that's reason i honestly love bootstrap stories because it's always this right uh, and in terms of being able to do things just because a group of people decided they're going to do something and they did it so it's truly incredible honestly to you uh and to your team to be able to do that so so you clearly have a incredible culture where people are focused on an outcome and regardless of their current skill set or experiences they find a way to get it done so as you're scaling how have you thought about culture and making sure that culture remains that so can you talk a little bit about us in terms of and culture is you know what people do when no one's looking so what are some kind of things that you have coded in within your culture that kind of carries on so i think uh, there are few things that we keep reminding ourselves again and again so first thing for example is that drive for excellence uh, whatever you're doing whatever field you have chosen do your job well and try to be the best in that category in that domain or whatever you've chosen to be Uh, and right so you just can't be mediocre you can't just say i am better than my peers i'm better than somebody else so i'm i'm doing this good right so we say no you always look out first try to see who is in the team better than you beat them become better than them then try to beat anybody else that you know and then you try to become the globally at the at the global level try to become the best in that uh, trade right so that's something the quality excellence uh, second thing is value for time uh that you know a lot of companies have this quarterly cycle of doing something or weekly cycle that okay let's have a meeting let's uh, it didn't happen today so let's do it tomorrow let's you know let's maybe we can do it next week uh, we always try to say every day is an opportunity every hour is an opportunity so we have to think like what are we shipping what did we accomplish today and what we could have done today right so it's always about having an urgency that uh, every day uh, and every hour there can be an impact A lot of times 
we just think we try to make something perfect and it never gets delivered so you have to deploy you have to push you have to do something whether you're marketing cs whatever you're doing try to make an impact every day and uh, don't think in quarters and years and weeks <laughs> and days think about hours and how can you balance it with days and weeks of kind of a planning so those are the let's say those are the two things third is of course ownership that once you take ownership you take the ownership uh, there is no going back uh, you take an ownership people trust you don't lose your trust so those are three or four things that i can think of at off my head and there may be more of that but then maybe there is one more thing called as level 3 or 5y approach right so you think you have to send an email today to customers about let's say a new feature now you could just write an email say okay this is a new great feature we have launched and this is a video as one that's level 1 thinking level 2 thinking is what else we can do on top of it can we add a delighter on top of it what the customers might be going through uh, can this feature really uh, should we add a customer testimonial who uses this feature to create more awareness around this or to create more interest in that level 3 thinking could be can this be a referral feature can this customers when they see this feature can we ask them to share it with a network uh, who might like this idea right that's a level 3 thinking so try to go beyond it just do don't scratch the surface just don't do the minimum which is required go for that go for uh, you know uh, go for the maximum impact in that so these are things that we keep on talking keep on reminding ourselves about in terms of work processes and how to get work done and about in cut short in general uh, you know, you have to earn the respect of people you don't lie you be honest whatever mistake you're making you admit that and people will uh, not only uh, excuse you but they will support you when you are true to them right so that's something not bunch of stuff right i don't we are not codified it somewhere but it just keeps on happening in calls and then we keep reminding people that this is our rule uh, and we kind of you know uh, made it a, like a constitution of us cut short uh, where we had a constitution and say okay this is what we are going to follow now anybody can add amendments to it if you want to make an amendment and, and do it and if if you think and there is no democracy by the way in cut short right so uh, ideas are not accepted by based on democracy you have to win the argument and if you one person can win the argument you uh, argument is going to be accepted right so bulk of a bunch of stuff that we do Uh, but we try to keep it as uh, uh, bottoms up uh, as possible rather than top driven that's awesome man when you were just talking literally i chills up my uh, ch- 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 chills up my spine because it just like talks about it's you've actually done the things that we just hear about and talk about and things like that you've actually actually done it and you have that visceral experience of actually implementing those things so seriously a big cheers uh, to you and your team of building amazing culture so as you're sort of scaling right like hiring is obviously for your own team is going to be an important piece uh and this initial team that you've built they've been there they've been through they've been through uh kind of they've been in the trenches with you with the new team uh they're not in the trenches they're seeing all the excitement and all of that so what would be your plan of ensuring that hey the person that we're getting in is the right person a and b that these people are also understanding the history and the background of how you guys got here yeah so i think now uh, when we are looking to hire people uh, we are looking for different things sometimes uh, let's say leadership we are looking for a very specific leadership experience not may not be necessarily uh, a bootstrap or a kind of a hustler kind of attitude that we used to have earlier so as we evolve as we look for different skills and we have different responsibilities uh, we have to also adapt we just cannot be stuck in time that you no know, we need same people and that's what culture is all about your culture has to evolve with people that you're going to hire so we we try to be open to that uh, now uh, how we will find them uh, how we will make them buy into the story how we will evaluate them i think there's a you know a lot of things that we do first for example any person and on a let's say five year six year experience of above we just don't give them offer like that we always try to make sure that they are sure going visible signs of believing in what we are doing if they are just treating this as one more job one more opportunity there is not really enough interest for them to come in and they get the deliver the best work so they let's say somebody you somebody who's really interested will ask questions about your company will ask questions about uh, you know the team that they're joining the goals we have uh, how why what exactly and they will have a lot of they should have a lot of doubts about why you're doing this why you will be why you think you will be able to beat linkedin why you think that competitor competitor cannot do the same thing they should have all these questions as in sales and marketing they should have these questions so that it really stands out that they really care about it so there are enough signs that you can read and then for anybody with five year eight year experience we have a kind of a policy where 
we don't give offers we give them consulting offers uh, so they work with us uh, we pay them for the time and after one month or something when they have we both have really verified and validated that this is something which really makes them excited about it then only we go forward to the next step. Uh, we believe that it's not for everyone. So junior people might not do that. But anybody who has five or six year experience, it is a, also a significant decision of their life to join a company like ours. So we they should also be willing to make that time uh, for that this kind of collaboration arrangement. And people are actually liking that because they also realize that uh, they don't want to make a bad decision just because they perceive the company to be something and they found the company to be something else. So they actually appreciate that as well. So yeah, I think a lot of stuff in terms of that. So it's kind of adaptation, evolution of being open to different kinds of people, uh, like the whole thing that you should hire people that you can hang out with. We don't believe in that. It doesn't matter. What matters is professional, uh, what professional uh, collaboration, professional synergy that you have rather than whether you like the person or not. So we try to do that and, uh, you know, and then be very, very uh, selective. Uh, but also, uh, if you make a mistake and correct it, so there is always painful side of it, but then you have to also do it because that's the best for uh, everyone out there and every stakeholder in the company. You are on mute. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Yeah, no, that's definitely, uh, that's, that, that, that's really great uh, for you to have a very clear plan of action uh, in terms of, I think those mutual agreements of evaluating both sides, especially for mid and senior hires, is definitely something uh, that makes a whole lot of sense. So uh, to kind of, uh, kind of bring, bring this to a closure, as you're scaling, what are kind of a couple of things that you have realized that you personally have had to kind of scale on as an individual? And what are some things that you're actively sort of working on to sort of be the leader that you need to be for the scale that you are at now and the scale that you're gonna get to very fast? So can you talk a little bit about your personal journey as well? Yeah, so when I started, as I said, I, I had experience of tech, product marketing, product management, those three things I knew. Uh, and I was passionate about product marketing and product management. So when I got in, I, of course, I had learned about building startups, uh, products, uh, validating uh, lean startups and other websites, started implementing those things and we got off to the ground. Uh, then I did not know about... Uh, let's say sales at all until one year ago. So sales is something which I learned. I tried, I did sales, but I did not know about how to build teams and all of that. So uh, the great thing about uh, starting something which is growing is uh, you get a chance to do and learn different things. Now, of course, at some point you have to decide how much you want to learn yourself and how much you want to scale. So uh, like HR, right? So HR is something you keep on doing. You're doing HR from day one when you are a founder. Uh, but then when you reach a certain level, then how much of HR you want to still influence and how much HR you want the other person to or somebody else to take, take, care, take care of. So I think you need to know that, but I think as a founder, it's very important to fix and figure out what your core areas or expertise are. So on what are your passion areas? So I think in my case, I realized product management, building the product, understanding the customers and pain points is a very central part of why we exist. So it's something that really I want to continue doing that uh, in terms of knowing and discovering, maybe execution of how exactly it can be done, can be done by a team, but in which market, what are the pain points? How is the market evolving? That's a very key part for our founder. So that is something which I do. Marketing is something, again, is something which I love. I love the way uh, to, uh, you know, you can win people by stories. I love the way you can uh, create a brand perception by doing these right things. Honestly, and how can you do that? So that's something which I love telling stories, uh, presenting something interesting way. So that's something also uh, which I've learned. I've like learned, but I did not know about a lot of things which uh, I picked up along the way. So those are the two areas I figured out. HR. Now a lot of people think HR is work. HR is uh, you know very chaotic or very uh, operationally heavy kind of a work. But I love HR because I think the whole uh, if you really look at it, the real. Uh, constrained resource that anyone has is people, right? Money is not a problem. Opportunity is not a problem. Market is not a problem. Everything is available. All you need is a people. If you had 10 people that you wanted, you can build any number of unicorns, right? So it's all possible. So I think the people part, why people will come to work, why they believe in a story, why they will work, why they will create magic together and what will make them leave is a very central part of leadership. So I think those are the areas which I had not really, I, I had not done deeper analysis and along the way, I picked up more of it. But I was naturally a trustworthy person to begin with, right? So that kind of helped me. I was uh, able to 
you know, figure out a leadership style, which was like leading from the front, but also giving people a chance to grow. But at the same time, it's not like you make mistakes. Uh, uh, you keep on making mistakes and I'm going to stand, right? So it's always also going to be giving feedback and all of that. So that's something I also picked up along the way. Uh, and my team will tell that whether I did a great job with it or not. But I think overall, how to inspire people and lead is a very essential part, which I also love uh, learning. And now going forward, what are things I would like to learn? I think uh, it's fundraising a bit, right? So how to now in you know, the investor circuit, I've never gone there. I've never told a story about my company and my startup to them. Uh, it's something that we always focus on customers. So that's never something I've done. So maybe that part of it as well. Some part of corporate governance about how do you, you know when you grow up, how you build the measures and checks and checks and balancement. This finance, uh, I think uh, uh, today we have a, you know, now as we are scaling up, we getting into all kinds of financial uh, questions as well uh, and financial upkeep, the requirement compliance that gone up. So maybe a bit of that at the higher level, not something which really interests me, but you don't want to make a mistake there. So all these areas, you know, you keep on evolving and I think it's been a great journey because you kind of uh, uh, enjoy different areas and I love seeing connections between everything. I love seeing, you know, how everything is kind of tied together and, and one thing you screw up and it really can affect something else and something and all these three things together come together and you have a magic at your hand so if you have a great team you have a great product you have great marketing and you know nothing can stop you because you have figured out the right combination so yeah i think uh, it's a very satisfying and very uh, uh, you know enjoyable journey as a founder to go from to keep on learning uh, a lot of people have like people think that as a founder i will not do this i will not do that but i think it's, it's a great thing as a person to actually learn different, different things on the go. That's awesome, man. No, I appreciate you uh, talking about that and being so open about the things that you've had to learn and the things that you absolutely enjoy and the things that you'll need to sort of evolve into as you uh, grow into 10 million AR. So Nikunj, this has been a absolutely amazing conversation. Sincerely appreciate you doing the podcast and giving me and our listeners a chance and an insight into Cut Short and of course into your personal journey as well. So thank you so much for joining us. Thanks Amit, thanks Harsh for having me here. And to anyone who is watching, who has watched this, uh, I think Cut Short is a very different kind of a company, different kind of marketplace. Uh, it is a marketplace plus SaaS software. Uh, we use HubSpot, we also build our own tools. We have you no know, B2C marketing, we also have B2B marketing. Uh, so we have enterprise selling we have assembly selling so it's like a combination in terms of you know you have everything in terms of what we're doing here so if you want to learn if you want to see if you want to, if you have any questions around it uh, happy to talk about it uh, if you're hiring amit will tell you to join uh, to use cutshot as well so go ahead and use cutshot if you want to connect with startups and get great jobs uh, get opportunities and grow your professional network and career cutshot is also there for you so yep uh, happy to be here thanks amit and i look forward to having more conversations like this Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode. Increase traction to your SaaS product using SEO by downloading our comprehensive SaaS SEO checklist for free from the link given below. This 44-step checklist will help you rank higher in the SERPs and get more MQLs organically. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast and want to get more insights into how to build a profitable SaaS business, you can join our free email list where we share growth tips, upcoming SaaS events, latest trends in the SaaS industry, and much more. Link is in the description below.